This morning, uh, we have uh, not really a guest speaker. He's one of us. Um, he is part of our Jackson site, lives in Hartford. His name is Dave Lazowski. And um, Dave is uh, one of the leaders that we believe God's um, he called uh, to Kettlebrook to help equip the body for the works of ministry. You find that in Ephesians 4. And, and Dave's a really humble guy, so he won't um, say anything about himself. So uh, I will have to do that for him. And yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm sorry. I got the mic. So uh, one of the things that Dave is gifted in is Dave is a shepherd at heart. Um, he's also an evangelist. And um, he's, uh, he's a gifted teacher, too, and you'll see that in just a second. But uh, he and his family have lived in Hartford for, um, for some years, and Dave has made intentional decisions about the way that they live, the job that he does to, uh, to um, free his calendar up, to free his life up, to do ministry constantly, to, to, to live out a life that is on mission. And so... Um, excited to bring him up here as a brother. I've had a chance this last year. We've been in a, in a coaching cohort um, with our mentor together for this last year, and it's been a blessing to get to know him uh, better. He, he pastors me uh, very often, and I really appreciate him. So can we give a warm West Bend welcome to our brother from, from Hartford, Dave Lazowski. Thanks, Joy. Well, Welcome. West Bend, it's weird to say that. Normally it's, it's Jackson. It's always Jackson. Um, you guys invited me back. I see a few familiar faces here. Last time I think I spoke here, I didn't know anybody. I think I knew Troy. That was, that was it. So I'm beginning to meet some of you and interact with some of you. And uh, So maybe you don't know me. I'm, my name is Dave Lasowski. I think there's a picture of my family up there. They said they stretched it out a little bit, maybe to make me a little taller. Um, could be seven feet tall. No, that's my family. Uh, my beautiful wife of 19 years. Uh, we got married when we must have got married when we were like 12 or something like that. Um, but uh, she's the rock in our family, uh, Kayla. Um, she's the stability. Uh, you see me back there singing, and, and I'm, I'm like a hot mess um, back there. But she's just the rock. She keeps our family stable. Um, my 14-year-old daughter. She's a sophomore at Hartford High School, and uh, she, she's embarrassed that I say this, but she's kind of the best of my wife and I put together. Like all the best things about us, she's so strong, she's so confident, she's so loving and caring, and uh, she just loves Jesus. Um, she's our firstborn. Um, the guy that I'm holding right there, he's an eight-year-old, he's Aaron. Um, we prayed for Aaron uh, after two miscarriages, um, the doctors said, uh, you're probably not going to have any more kids. And so we prayed, uh, and we prayed hard, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, Aaron came uh, six years uh, after Leah. And um, once Aaron came, we haven't stopped praying uh, for Aaron because uh, Aaron is our... Um, he's our he's our spice in our in our kind of family mix. And as you know, spice is great. I mean, it adds a little flavor and some of that, but... Um, sometimes spice isn't always great. So we pray for Aaron. <laughs> we pray for Aaron. And then Luke on the other side, he's a typical last born. Uh, he's just up for a party. He is up for fun. I mean, he's just, he's all in on anything. And, and that's kind of, that's kind of our family. We've had a good summer so far. We've been down to the Dells or up to the Dells. I've been to the Gabon a couple times and just a really relaxing time. One thing that we did um, this winter, um, spring, that was really fun. Um, we don't watch a ton of TV together as a family. Maybe MasterChef. My kids love cooking and MasterChef. But one of the shows we watched uh, together was a show called The Hunted. Anybody see Hunted? It's on regular TV. We don't have cable. Um, it's, a, it's a reality. Before you get too concerned about the name of it, um, it's a reality TV show where 
nine, nine couples kind of go out into a, into a city and they try and hide from law enforcement. And so they hide, they hide in people's houses, they go camping, and um, the gist of it is if they can stay out there without being found for 28 days, they win $250,000. Um, if they're found, they're just one of the casualties and so on. I think we have a clip of that, uh, a little bit of what that's about right here. You're never safe. As long as you're running, there's always the possibility they can find you somehow, some way. You don't rest even when it's time to sleep. They're here. United States, present day. Virtually everything we do in our daily lives leaves a digital trail. Every click of an email, social media, or bank account reveals who we know, what we're doing, where we are. For law enforcement, these everyday routines can help them stay one step ahead of the criminals. Now, 18 ordinary U.S. citizens are going on the run as fugitives. Go, 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 go. Challenged to disappear in one of the most technologically advanced nations in the world. Just get down, just get down. I want to be able to say, I got away from the best of the best. Yeah. And if they can evade capture for 28 days, let's go, let's go, let's go. they will receive $250,000. If I should win the money, I get chills even thinking about what this could do for myself and my daughter. Tracking them down are 32 of the top investigators in the world. My team is exceptional. They all bring unique talents, resources, and experiences from the Navy SEALs, the CIA, the U.S. Marshal Service. The hunters will use real-world techniques to track them down. That's the drone. They can run, but they can't hide. A lot of satisfaction that comes with apprehending a fugitive. You think about what their next move is going to be, and you know more about them than they do. It worked. The password, we can now log in. Uncovering every digital footprint, exploiting every weakness. Where will they hide? Who will they trust? As a fugitive, your whole life will be analyzed. I want these folks caught. Your time on the run is over. Twenty-eight days. Eighteen fugitives. If you had to disappear, could you? Sounds pretty cool. My my wife would sit. My wife and I would sit there, and we'd be like, "All right, so we're going to go to these people's houses, and we're going to stay this long, and then we're going to go here." It was great, and she's like, "No, we can't do that." <laughs> go watch it. It's it's on uh, probably on YouTube yet. Um, we've been uh, going through these this series on the, the divine conspiracy, and last time Ryan spoke, he spoke on kind of the height of Israel, uh, David defeating Goliath. I mean, does it get better than that for David? Um, things are going well. But we soon find that things go downhill in a hurry. Let me read to you First Samuel, just one chapter after David slays Goliath. First Samuel 18.6 says, When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistines, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. I don't know what a lute is. And they danced and they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but with me with only a thousand. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. So David goes from killing Goliath, I mean the pinnacle, to now having a watchful eye on the king. Things spiral downhill. Saul tries to kill him. He first tries to put him ahead of, of, in the army against the Philistines, and David doesn't die. He actually wins every single time. He says, all right, maybe if I uh, 
maybe if David's got to kill a hundred Philistines to earn my daughter's favor, maybe he'll die then. And he doesn't. Finally, in a jealous rage, Saul's sitting in his room and he takes a spear and he just hurls it at David and he misses him. And finally, David's like, I'm out of here. I'm not going on the run, though, because I'm going to win $250,000. I'm going on the run because if I don't move now, Saul is going to kill me. And this is kind of the backdrop that we find our story today. The king of Israel, with 3,000 of the most finely trained men, are after David and his crew. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 26. I think it's on page 211. And read with me. We'll start uh, in chapter 26. We'll start in verse 2. So Saul went down to the desert of Ziph, and with his 3,000 chosen men of Israel to search there for David. And Saul made his camp beside the road on the hill of Hecala, facing Jessamon. But David stayed in the desert. And when he saw that Saul had followed him there, he sent out scouts and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. Then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army, had lain down. Saul was lying inside the camp with the army camped around him. Do you get the picture here? Saul comes with 3,000 of his best soldiers, and they're going to get David. They finally found where he was, and so they camp up on a hill, which militarily, that's a strategic position, right? You want to be looking down on your enemy. And so he camps up on the hill, and historians tell us the way they camp was kind of in a circular motion. So you'd have, like, your wagons, and you'd have your donkeys on kind of the outside all the way around. And then from least important soldier to most important, you'd go in until in the middle was the king. And so picture like a, like a pond or some water that's completely still. And you take a rock and you throw it in. You throw it in and it gets ripples all around. That's how Saul would have been camped with his men. Pretty smart if someone was going to co- come in and, king, and kill the king. They'd have to go through a whole lot of men before they got to them. So David sees this. Let's keep on reading. Verse 6. David then asked Amalek, the Hittite, and Abishah, son of Zephyrah, Joab's brother, who will go down with me into the camp with me to Saul? So David and Abishah went to the army by night, and there was Saul. And so... David's like, I got a crazy plan. You see those 30,000 people, there's 3,000 people encamped on that hill? I'm going to go into the camp. And he goes to his two best buddies, and I don't know who your two best buddies are, but you go and say, all right, who wants to go with me? Us two, us three against 3,000. Basically, David was, in my opinion, it was a suicide mission. I mean, who would go into a camp like that? It was impossible for him to succeed. Though I think back, boy, he's also the one who killed Goliath. (laughs) Impossible. I love that. I love that about David. He's not afraid to come in and invite one of his best friends into the mission with him. It's like, do you want to come with me? I know this sounds crazy. God's in this. Will you come with me? It reminded me of Jesus when he was sitting on the shores and going to his disciples. I don't know why it did. He said, come to me and follow me and become fishers of men. 
Jesus invited these guys into this mission they didn't know anything about. And David invites his two buddies into this mission. They know nothing about what's going to happen. One of them, I don't know, if I was both of them, I would have kind of took a step back and been like, you go. I would have probably told him he was crazy and tried to rationalize it. But Abishaw, I love his response. Yes. Yes. I'll go. David, I don't know what's going to happen. I know this is crazy, but I'm ready to go with you. Yes. If you've been a part of Kettlebrook for any length of time, and I think it's been about seven years for me, you've heard stories of people that live far away, and you've heard stories of people sitting right beside you today that are involved in God's mission in Kewaskum, in West Bend, in Jackson, in Hartford. These missions seem impossible at times. They're breaking through things that, spiritual strongholds that have never been broken through before. And I've met a lot of these people. In themselves, they're not impressive people. Like, they're not. They're just average, ordinary people that are doing this. They're like you, and they're like I. But what separates them and makes them impressive is they've chosen to say yes to an impressive God. And while most congregations see people living like this as abnormal. One of the things I appreciate about Kettlebrook is Kettlebrook is attempting to show that living this radical life, accepting crazy missions that God is on, is a normal part of following Jesus Christ. Like David, he invited Abishai to be part of the mission. And God is inviting us to be part of his mission, to move out of our comfort to move out of a Christianity that's circled around us and to move out into our workplaces, into our sports teams, into our jobs and our neighborhoods so Christ can be known and the gospel can be proclaimed so hearts can be changed. When people think of Kettlebrook, they won't be surprised when they hear on the news that Kettlebrook is helping the outcasts. They'll be like, yeah, that Kettlebrook just does that kind of stuff. That's the people of Kettlebrook. See, they go out on crazy missions for God. When people hear about Kettlebrook, they won't be surprised that they hang out with the poor and the needy because they'll be like, yeah, that's what Kettlebrook does. See, they don't just come on a Sunday morning. They don't just listen to Caleb. They aren't just good people. There's nothing wrong with those things. They actually live out their faith. And they go on missions that seem impossible for their God because God makes all things possible. About nine years ago, I won't, I'll spare you the details, God invited me and my family to be a part of that mission. I hadn't been living like that, honestly, um, until about 10 years ago. To be a part of this mission in Hartford, maybe you don't know, I was talking to a guy in Kewaskum the other week, Hartford is up, underrepresented when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You in West Bend sit here and you could go to a multiple number of churches here in West Bend and you could hear about the gospel and they could teach you how to follow Jesus Christ. In Hartford, you don't have those options. And so when God called us back home, that's where I grew up. I remember sitting at the mine shaft uh, with a pastor and uh, we sat there and he said, Dave, um, 
this is a spiritually closed community. You know that, right? He said, I, I didn't know that. I, lived, I haven't lived here in 15 years. He said, there simply isn't any movement for God here. And I think he said that to discourage me. But I'm a little hard-headed. And uh, that actually, I was like, that's great. That's, what, that's where I want to go. <laughs> that, that's why I was coming to Hartford. I didn't tell him that. <laughs> See, I wanted to be a part of God's mission. It seemed impossible, but with my God, all things are possible. And I was thinking about us as a church broadly. If we're going to change a culture, and if people on the outside are going to see that Kettlebrook is different, it's not going to be just the pastors who say, I want Jesus in all my life, and I'm going to go on impossible missions. It's not going to be just the elders who want to go on impossible missions. It's going to be me and you. It's going to be all of us saying, God, what do you have for us? It's going to be us seeing what our giftedness is and looking out where God is moving and say, I want to be a part of it. I know it seems impossible, but yes, I'm in. That's the kind of gathering, kind of church that I think Kettlebrook is becoming. And I applaud you here in West Bend taking the leadership in that. But my question for you today is this. Have you said yes? Have you said yes to God being more than just a Sunday morning thing? Yes, the mission seems impossible, but I want more. I'm in. I don't know what it means, but I'm I'm in. What mission is God calling you to? Do you see people in need around you? Hurting? that need the gospel, that need Jesus' touch? What's keeping you from walking out and reaching out to them? Who are some people that have the same heart's desire as you? That you could pull along your side yourself and say, let's go together to see what God has for us. We've all been invited, like Abishal, into this great mission Will we be the ones who walk with him or stay home? Let's keep reading in Samuel, verse 7. So David and Abishah went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and his soldiers were lying around him. Abishah said to David, Today, God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike him twice. Imagine the scene. They pick through the donkeys. They work their way through the wagons. They're stepping over bodies of soldiers. Oh, one turns turns over. Is he going to wake up? They finally make their way all the way through and they see Saul's spear stuck in the ground. And Abishah goes to, to David. He's like, this is it. God has surely delivered him into our hands. In other words, it's like a miracle that we're here, David. You know that, right? I mean, like if God didn't put all these people to sleep, this would never happen. This must have been from God. I'll pick up that spear and David, like... I only need one shot at this. I won't need, I won't need two. And you could, you could kind of defend 
Abishah in this situation. I mean, striking Saul would have stopped years of running and hiding. Do you know, I didn't know this, that historians say David ran from Saul for about 15 years. 15 years. I don't know where this is in the story. I couldn't find exactly how long it was. But this could have alleviated years and years and years and years of sitting in the desert, just burning up, of freezing in the cold nights, of walking on the rocks and hiding like goats, of always trying to be one step ahead of Saul. What about living constantly, looking over your shoulder, wondering if today is going to be the day that Saul is going to find us and he's going to kill us? And if Abishai just picked up that spear and with one thrust it would all have been over. Done. David would have been king. I mean, right there. Remember Samuel? David, you're the anointed one. Saul no longer is anointed. You're the anointed one. He would have taken the kingship and everything would have been right with the world. So often taking things in our own hands makes so much sense. Doesn't it? I mean, it made sense. Abishai, just take that sword and finish Saul off. We get that immediate result that we're looking for. But in the end, I think when we take things in our own own hands like Abishai tried to do, it really shows our unbelief, specifically our unbelief about who our God is. Jim Cimbala, one of my favorite authors, one of my favorite pastors, said this, He says, that's how human nature works, doesn't it? We're all impatient by nature. And the worst mistakes happen when we can't wait for God's timing. Just because we don't see God doing anything, we think that God isn't doing anything. Just because we don't see God doing anything, doesn't mean God isn't doing anything. I could relate to Abishah. I'm by nature a helper. It's just, I like to help people. If you ask my friends, if you ask my neighbors, the Lasalski family is always there to help, to listen, to give a hand. We'll, we'll throw our schedule apart to help people. I think I bring that into my relationship with God. I think I try to help God way too much. When I feel like God isn't doing enough, I try and help. (laughs) I stick my foot in and go. When I feel like I don't see God working, okay, God, I guess you needed me now, right? When I see that God's timetable is a little different than mine, it must mean that God needs help. I will surely step in and grab that sword and do your work for you. Let's read. Verse 9. But David said to Abishah, Don't destroy him. You can't lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless. As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Either his time will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on David's on Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and the water jug that are near his head and let's go. You see, every single time that I try and do things on my own 
take things into my own hands. It's like David yelling at Abishah, no, don't, you can't. No, God's got a plan. No, God doesn't need your help in this situation. No, God's timing is different than yours, Dave. No, will you stop trying to be me and just trust me? You see, when I take matters in my own hands, it shows my belief about God, that I really want to be him, that I really don't trust him or his heart, that my timing might be a little better than his, and maybe, just maybe, God may need this guy's help. I feel a lot like Abishaw, and I think in the last years, God is teaching me this, and I I wonder if some of you have some Abishaw in you as well. I wonder if there's some singles out here, and you want a spouse. You want someone to love you and care about you, and as you sit home, you're wondering today, I'm going to start taking things in my own hands and make this happen. I'm going to find somebody to love me. I'm going to find someone to care about me. Your timing hasn't been perfect, so I'm going to make it perfect. I wonder if there's some marriages today. (laughs) And you've decided to stay with your spouse. I'm going to follow God, but right now, as you sit here today, you're like, I think I might leave. Like, I'm done. God, he hasn't been changing. He's, you're not moving. I'm done. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I wonder if there's some of you today that at work, you've been obedient. You've tried to be above reproach. And you see person after person after person being promoted. And you're like, man, I'm going to try to manipulate this situation. I know I'm better than them. God, I've done what you wanted long enough. I'm going to pick up this spear and I'm going to make it happen. All along, God's yelling to you, no, no. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is John 5:17, And Jesus says this, my father is always at his work. And to this very day, I too am working. You see, God hasn't forgot us. He's always working. He's always moving, even when we don't see it. And today, you may question, is God working in this situation? Hold on. If he's called you to it, he'll work you through it. He'll be there with you. What are you believing about God today that causes you to take matters into your own hands? To pick up that spear in your life and to do things on your own, God, push God to the background. Lastly, verse 11 says this. One of my favorite verses, David's called the man after God's own heart, says this. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear in the water jug that are near his head and let's go. Now get the spear in the water jug, let's go. 
It's almost like David is saying to Abishah, I, God's in control. I can't take this into my own hands. We can't take this in our own hands, Abishah. God is ultimately in control. He's going to work it out. Let's just rest. Let's just let him handle the situation as he deems fit. I think this is a lesson God's been working on me. He's helping me rest. And here's why he's helping me rest. Because I know that he's always at work. So because he's always at work, I don't have to be always at work. I can sit and rest in his plan. I can sit and rest that even though I don't see his mission happening, that it is. I can rest because I can take comfort in knowing that just as God rested from work of creation, we can rest as believers in what Jesus has finished on the cross. And we can sit and say, Jesus, you died for me. I can rest in this. I don't have to work anymore. Because God did the work, because Jesus did the work, we don't have to. We can let him, he did it, we can let him continue to do it. And I know even as I say that, there's some of you who say, but God needs me. But God needs me. He does. He needs you to rest in him. It doesn't mean being lazy. It means saying, you're my provider. You're my protector. You're the one who's moving and I'm I'm not. See, David, you don't know my situation. I don't. I know this. In Hartford, we're praying for 30 people to be involved in our mission in Hartford. We have four right now. And like that would stress a guy out, right? I mean, let's see God move. Like, God, what are you doing here? And here's what me leaving the sword in the ground and letting God handle it is done. Saying, God, I don't know the people you're going to bring. I don't know who they are. Every day at 10.02, I'm going to pray for them. My alarm's going to go off, and I'm going to pray that God brings the harvest, the people, the workers of the harvest. I'm going to trust you, that you're working, that you're moving. I don't see it, but I trust you. I'm not taking matters into my own hands anymore because the impossible happens only when I trust this impossible God. I have a couple questions for you as I close today. Were you tempted to take a shortcut on what God wants for your life? Do your own thing. Move around. What area do do you have a tendency to take a shortcut? Is there a matter that you're manipulating to get your longings fulfilled or to see your circumstances change rather than waiting on God's timetable? What unbelief is keeping you from resting in this God that is so capable? He might even be more capable than Troy. There's my 1002 alarm. Sorry. (laughs) It's 1002. (laughs) Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
I thank you for how you've moved the story of Abishah in my life in the last years. I thank you for inviting us on this mission with you. Forgive me when I pick up the spear. Forgive me when I don't rest in you, knowing that you are capable. Your timing is perfect. Your love for me is certain. Lord, would you, would you help us rest in your sufficiency? In your name I pray. Amen.